We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Uh, Coming at you Monday morning, it's February 27th. It's been a week since we've done a pod, and I wish we were breaking back in post-All-Star break on better terms. But the Wolves have lost their first two games out of the break. Over the weekend, a home loss to the 19-43 Charlotte Hornets. And a road loss last night to a Golden State team that was without Steph Curry. Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins. I'm joined today by Britt Robson from MimPost uh, to get into all this. Britt, there's a lot of frustration out there in the fan base, and I'd assume within the team too. Uh, but in the fan base, most specifically, I think I'm seeing a lot of people throwing the F word out there when it comes to Chris Finch wanting to fire him, thinking his seat's hot. I saw a lot of that last night after the game, which. That's personally not where my head is, has gone into all this, though. I, I'm not suggesting Finch is blameless, but when I saw the there's the biggest deluge of fire Finch stuff, uh, I thought after after last night's game, and I thought of your column from from last week where you kind of dove right into that topic. You kind of dismissed it as silly, um, not something you see happening anytime soon. But, you know, that was before the All-Star break. That was before these two pretty rough losses. So I'm assuming that's still your stance on it. So let's start with why you feel that way, or maybe, you know, surprise me. Tell me you've changed your mind and Chris Finch is, <laughs> Chris Finch is done. I don't mean to actually laugh at this. Like it, it's fair for, for fans to be upset with it. And again, I do think Finch holds bra- blame, but it, it, it's right. It's more of a logistics thing. If he just signed an extension, he's coming off of us, whatever you, you get into it. Start us off. It's the definition of a knee-jerk reaction. Chris Finch. That's, that's a Brit, that's best, a Brit best, first line right there. There we go. <laughs> it is the best coaching performance in Timberwolves history happened last season. And I've seen every single Timberwolves season up close and personal, so I should know. Uh, has he been as effective this season? Absolutely not. Has he been in the top half? of the coaching profession with his performance thus far this season? Absolutely not. But the idea that you throw the guy out because he's 31 and 32 with Carl Anthony Towns missing 42 games 
Rudy Gobert missing a dozen. Dorian Prince missing 26. J-Mac missing 37. Slow-Mo missing 13. Yeah. Uh, this team has not had any continuity. They were a poor-fitted roster, as is obvious to all by now, coming into the season, where I will blame Chris Finch is in his confidence that this was going to be yep. – he used the word seamless. Mm -hmm. And I've been, I've been on him all season – that overreaction. I think the fact that he did well when he was an assistant coach in New Orleans and was charged with putting DeMarcus Cousins and Antonio Dave, Anthony Davis together, um, and again, early in Denver when he had Nurkic and Jokic together. And Dwight Howard in Houston, too. I feel Dwight like we Howard always leave that Houston. one out. Yeah. yeah. So he's obviously, I think, was overconfident in his ability to make this fit work well. I think he went over and saw Gobert in Europe and decided that that wasn't a George Mikan situation where uh, Rudy was just so much taller and and more dominant physically than just about anybody but Nurkic, who, by the way, held him to even terms in those uh, Eurobasket tournaments. Um, I think he, he overestimated his ability to make this thing work. But it's been obvious that it's a poor fit. And subsequent attempts to make it a better fit have caused disruptions. And therefore, very little reliability. Now, as I mentioned in my column, uh, one of the things Finch does that really aggravates fans, especially when it doesn't work and they're able to jerk their knee, is that he lets the players figure things out. That works really well when you have a Pat Bev regulating the uh, mental aspect of the game and a Jared Vanderbilt setting the standard for the physical aspect of the game. Um, both of those guys got punted in the Gobert deal, um, and it's a whole different style of play now. Um, but as a result, you can point to a lot of what the Timberwolves don't do well and attribute to the fact that Finch is not more of a disciplinarian. Uh, I will concede that. I'll concede that not boxing out, that creating silly turnovers, that taking poor opponent, opponents and large leads for granted are all a case of a coach having too much faith mm -hmm. in the ability of his players to regulate themselves. And to that extent, that's why I will say that Finch has not had a good season and is not among the top half of coaches in the NBA. But you guys have watched, I mean, folks who are ripping Finch have watched the games. Where is where is the foundation to build on here? Uh, where has there been the seamless flow of something that could be sustainable? Um and I don't think that's a chicken and the egg where Finch is not being able to build something sustainable. I think it is that Rudy Gobert came in with very specific parameters on how he is successful. The Wolves had very few of those parameters naturally inherent in how they play basketball. And it, the fit has been hard ever since then. So I... I 
first off, I'm, I'm, I'm with all that. I don't have any real holes to, to poke in any of that. The one thing that, that shines through a little bit to me from last season and to this season is, uh, the inability to close games and the, and kind of like what you were saying when Finch allowing the players to, to play through a team kind of making their comeback. Right. And we saw that a lot in the playoffs last season with Patrick Beverly on the floor, with Jared Vanderbilt on the floor, right? You know, they're blowing 15, 20 right. point leads on the regular. And, and you know, that's a that's obviously a trend that's sustained this season without those players. And you're seeing it, I think, in particular in the clutch time of games, the last, the last five minutes, these last three losses, this three-game losing streak, is right. a product of the Wolves being an extremely poor clutch team at this time. And and it would be incorrect to to fully dismiss, uh, you know, Chris Finch's role in in that. I mean, the Wolves are the third worst clutch offensive team in the league this season, only better than San Antonio and Houston, which I think is actually points us in a direction of youth, you know. And and I don't mean yeah. that to totally dismiss Finch at all there, but when I think about these games and how they are blowing it blowing these clutch time games it is so much a product to me of in particular ant jaden and nas being really poor players in the clutch thus far or th- this season and i think you know it hasn't always been nas out there but he was on the floor in that remember that denver game right. in denver that oh, yeah. they no, moved I, down i i i it's, is it's that where your head hasn't I've only had part of the Kool-Aid on the Nas Reed experience. <laughs> I, I, I drank what I drank against my will. But uh, I, I do remember the negative things that Nas does for that reason. Right. And and he, he is, and, and, and let's face it, Ant and Jaden both have not been good in the clutch. Uh, Ant, because he believes that he needs to be the guy he's accepting that role and those are going to have growing pains Mm -hmm. when that happens and Jaden because I think that he is an impulsive player uh I think that that interior drive fuels some of the really good things that happen with him Mm -hmm. I think that his following and his uh shot uh selection are both a negative result of uh, that particular thing. I think that he's a lot better knowing when he's open for three and taking the confidence on that. But I think his ability, especially in transition, there's a little Josh Okogie in him in terms of when he gets the ball in the open spaces, having a little bit more confidence that he's going to put the ball in the net rather than getting it to somebody who might do a better job. Uh, and on defense, I think he tends to be, uh, in fact, the Timberwolves in general, don't cut their losses. Don't make good decisions on when um, when the play is lost, when the play can be taken with the right effort, and when the play needs even more of a contest. Um, and some of that may just be experience. Uh, what I will say, because I looked at the clutch numbers too, Remarkably. I, think, I think that's what we were all doing this morning. I, I'm literally like on the page, and Jace was was texting me, and he's like, "Screenshot of this, screenshot of this. It's, it's do, the do you know what their record is? They're I don't know. <laughs> it was more specific numbers. He was, what is the what is the record? They're 19 and 15. Oh, it, it games that touch clutch time. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's good. 
what? So in other words, their uh, winning percentage is seventh uh, in clutch situation games. Their offense is 28th. Their defense is 14th. Their net rating is 24th. And their winning percentage is seventh. So I think that, that kind of dispels the winning percentage as a relevant stat. Well, there. except that some of that, I think, what we see there is when a collapse happens, it really happens. Yeah, that's a good point, and and you that's know? and I think that's the the youthful floor falling out thing, right? Right. And right. and just because I want to give Jace credit for this, because he was the one sending to me, why I wasn't thinking of this. Um, he pointed out that you know Boston, which I then remember, Boston was terrible. In right. in the clutch last season, I think I, then I was like, oh yeah, I really remember that. Like during the regular season, like they were the worst, worst, particularly at the beginning of the season. And, you're, and then I'm like, oh, that's remember that's what everyone was like. Oh, you know, Boston started the year twenty and twenty when the right. Wolves were twenty and twenty, and then but then Boston was also really bad in the clutch in the playoffs last year too. Right. And and then you know the, that was the thing with the Bucks that they really struggled with a couple of years and ago. And you know if, if I can interrupt you yeah. for a minute, J- Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart are both the same kind of willful players that Jade McDaniel's is. Yep. they're the kind of people who do things that are marvelous. And Jason because... Tatum is young, like I mean that right, uh, right, about right. the same age. You know, a right. year exactly. ago or two years ago, Jason Tatum and Paul George are my two normal cops for upside yep. and right. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I, I do think that whole thing of those two guys have heavy usage in that offense and on defense also are important mm-hmm. as defenders. And I think that they probably, I can't go look at things now, but are prone to following and are prone to yeah. uh, being, you know, like I know Marcus Smart, you always say, what the hell is he doing? And with the Scott selection many times in general, I imagine that also it happens in the clutch. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it is good to throw in the like, uh, yeah, the, those really effort players who can be reactive in, in those times, which Jaden is a, a good comp to, to Spartan that way and, and Brown. And then again, just youthfulness. And, and it's, it is to be clear by no means an excuse for this team. They they are a young team, but they're also a team that can't use youth for an excuse because they did, in a immense way, try to address that by bringing in a thirty year old Rudy Gobert and a thirty five year old you know Mike Conley. So absolutely, and don't forget Slomo. It's actually yeah. been the one guy that's worked. And and yeah, that Rivers you know comes into he's played most of the season, but it, right. it it's still. I, I when I think about it, and I think about whether it relates to clutch time or just youthful failings in general, I really do go back to Ant. And and this isn't at all to say Ant has had a terrible season or Ant is, no, you all. know, not, not at all. It's, I think these type of mistakes, this type of crumbling late in games, it has to do with Ant. And, and maybe not having a lot of experience in those times, not knowing what to do. And obviously we have the Memphis series in our mind where he did a lot of great stuff in the clutch, but he also, he was also on the floor when those 20 point leads went away. He tried to get that steal on John Morant in game four, right? After he made the huge shot, you know, some youthful just mistakes, like failings in those times. And when your best player and your leader is a way that sinks into the team and a lot of other great things about Ant and the way that right, Ant is that right, way trickles right. down into the team. But I, again, just watching it, rewatching these last three games, it's like, 
I understand Mike Conley's on the floor and he's 35 and Kyle Anderson is over there holding his back in his thirties and Rudy right. Gobert is like, but I see a team to my eyes that looks young and that is on the leaders of the team. And I think that's on the coach too. Right. And it doesn't mean right. it, it's something that can't be fixed again. Like I was saying with Boston and then with Milwaukee too, with Tatum and with Giannis, those are things that the, those teams had to go through over the course of a couple of years as those players started to enter the beginning of their primes and were seriously problematic, but those teams did change coaches, right? You know, Giannis. But they also had a plan going forward. I mean, that's where I, I keep wanting to bring it back to, you know, what the hell is the plan here? Yeah. I mean, is the plan to have 21-year-old Anthony Edwards surrounded by a bunch of fundamentalists, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Because I don't think that works. Yeah. No, I mean, well. And not that last night is... And by the way, Chris Finch is not a fundamentalist. Mm -hmm. Chris Finch is a fly-around coach. That's that's true. And and you, you see last night with, you know, with, with Nas Reed, too. That's another one of those games where it's it's more that style that we think kind of fits Ant a little bit more. And probably the roster as a whole, Rudy withstanding, maybe Rudy and Conley withstanding that is you know is is partially problematic let's grab our let's grab our first break and then let's move into that game specifically and and, and you know not Nas did play well um even if he didn't play well down the stretch we'll take a quick break back with Britt today's show was brought to you by the Genesis company the Genesis company is the MVP of the business game with their advanced marketing techniques they've helped over 300 brands generate over three billion dollars in retail sales so if you're an entrepreneur with any size brand or product they're the best in the business. And for being fans of the pod, they're offering free access to their proprietary AI technology that helps founders uncover the true potential of their brand. Find out how big your brand or product should be. Don't let your competition steal the lead. Email them at grow at thegenesiscompany.com and claim your spot at the top of the game. That's grow at thegenesiscompany.com. Today's show is brought to you by Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul. Hyacinth is one of my favorite restaurants in the cities and a place that I think is easy and comfortable to go to if you're looking for kind of an elevated dining experience that is still comfortable. That's been my experience when I've gone to Hyacinth with my friends and with my family. Um, it's, it's also a restaurant that is using all Minnesota products year round, which I think makes it cool, um, whether it be for the menu items or the cocktails. They'll kind of have like a wintry vibe to them. And I think that can be fun this time of year if you're looking to go out, whether it's for a, a fancy dinner or just something more casual on a random weeknight. You can make reservations there. Those are those are ideal. But if you're going in the wintertime and you're going on a weeknight, also walk-ins are uh, more than normal there at Hyacinth. So if you haven't checked out Hyacinth, uh, I'd I challenge you to you know look at their website, check out their menu. They also have an Instagram page with a ton of their uh, menu items on there. Uh, again, you are going to go out to eat. And I would just recommend that you put Hyacinth at the top of your list if you're looking for a new place to check out in the city. So that's Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul. All right, we are back with Britt Robson. Um, Britt, right before the break, we, we started touching on, well, we touched on how that game was blown late as the Charlotte game was, as the Washington uh, game was. And that connects, obviously, the, the players who are on the floor. A game isn't won or lost, though, in the, the final four or five minutes of a game. Uh, the Wolves did largely play well enough to win in that game. What do you, what to you were the things or the players that shifted from when the Wolves were successful last night against Golden State to 
really un- unsuccessful and 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 having that fall off as we were talking about with Nas. I think that's probably the the keynote uh, of last game, how good he was at the beginning, how much he struggled in the fourth quarter. But what else sticks out to you or or going to Nas? Well, I think what sticks out to me is that there is a team-wide tendency to fall into a lapse that has become very, very familiar. And Finch pointed this out in the postgame last night. I was, you know, ready to throw things at the set. When they were up 14 and they were comfortable and they began to just play silly and stupid again and lazy when it came to rebounding. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, to revisit Ant for just a second, I, I, I firmly believe that he is exhausted. Uh, I think everybody wants to say, well, yeah, you know, you had the time off. There's a difference between lying in a hammock in Hawaii <laughs> and going and playing next to all your boyhood idols and making a comment that everybody latches on to to make a national debate over load management and being feted and reviled for having an opinion uh, and just being and having the ratification and having his boys and his fan base. And by the way, the greater NBA community and the national television spotlight, it was an emotionally and mentally draining experience, in my opinion, mm-hmm. for a 21-year-old who was getting ratification after being delayed for a long time. He wasn't rookie of the year. He wasn't really given enough credit. He's in flyover country in terms of NBA watching. Um, and he leads the NBA in minutes played. Yeah. So as I say, he handed the pedal to the medal going into the all-star break too. Exactly. And so, and we just, you just got through mentioning, you know, the, the ways in which Kyle Anderson is holding his back. Rudy Gobert's out with the flu. Um, Kyle Anthony Towns hasn't been seen since Thanksgiving. Um, There are ways that there's a lot of weight on him Mm -hmm. and it is in his self-identity to welcome it and think he can, you know, thrive over it. He said the other night after they uh, punted the game to um, uh, Charlotte, I'm going to go into the gym tomorrow and shoot over two people for a while. I wish he'd just get in an easy chair and chill. You know, I mean, (laughs) right now uh, he is playing like a guy who is laboring. Uh, Doesn't it, didn't it look like, I, I I tweeted this last night, and some people are like, "What? It, it wasn't a back to back." What what I said is that game looked to me the way Ant was playing, the way he was moving, which which he does, it's like kind of when he just has these just bursts of speed and stuff, right. and then a lot more of the I call it like the Andrew Wiggins body, you know, just standing upright, right. standing there. Um, that body language, fatigue language, maybe from from Ant used to show up so much in the second night of a back to back. And he had terrible numbers in the second half, whatever. But we've been over that a million different times. And to his credit, over the past couple of months, he talked about and did kind of rectify that issue specific to back-to-backs and maintaining an, enough energy to play in both of those games. But it looked like that again. He 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 looked like that. And that's what, to me, made me, you know, knowing what, what we know about him leading the league in minutes and all those sort of things, is you, you have to, I would, you know, if it were you and I sitting there, you were Tim Conley and I was Chris Finch, we go, all right, we at least need to have a conversation about resting Ant for a game or two. I'm not saying we have to do it because we do only have 19 games left in the season. 
and we're probably going to lose if we sit him out for any him out for any game. But it body language wise, it looks like it that that he needs it. And I also think with Ant, he's not the t- he hasn't shown to be over three seasons now the type of player to ask for that day off, right? Whether well, to was, even acknowledge it, exactly. I mean, and he did it last night, and then he and then he's confused. Yeah, but, right. I think we can all, you know, obviously none of us are Anthony Edwards anywhere close, but I think that we can all relate to this idea that when you go through a tsunami-like experience emotionally, whether it's positive, negative, or whatever, like going to your first NBA All-Star game, there is a for a while you ride the wave. There is a point where you exhale. Mm-hmm. And I think his exhalation happened when he got back with his team and realized that he's got a second half of the season to go and realized he had to gear himself up again. And I think mentally he thought he would be ready for it. But I think that exhalation, that letdown that inevitably has to happen, happened. And he has not been the same player in a lot of different ways. His finishing at the rim. I mean, I would love to have agreed with Chris Finch the other night about the fact that it is absurd that the guy, you know, I think had 19 shots, maybe more. And a lot of those were purposeful drives to the rim, one on three and no whistles. But the fact of the matter was, is that extra type of athleticism that draws contact I did not see that as right. much as I've seen Ant. There have definitely been games where Ant has not gotten the benefit of the whistle. And there probably were a couple of plays last night where he could have, but it wasn't as obvious. He was not um, getting that. They were waiting for him to do what he does rather than being forced to react to do what he does. And it's that split second of energy and athleticism that wasn't there, I think. And, and that was just one example. No, it, I, haven't gone, I haven't gone back and looked at all the shots, but it felt like a lot of the shots were short, mm-hmm. you know? it. Uh, there's something important about pointing out the way in which he plays and needing to, so much of his game is about getting downhill, getting hit, needing to, you know, gymnastic his body around someone at, on his way to the rim, trying to draw fouls, like literally trying to get hit. And, you know, the, the two players... I think of that come to mind that play most that way or have kind of over the past five years are Luca and Harden. Right. And, right. and there's this interesting like intersection. One of all three players are awesome uh, and special in this new sort of way of you know, the spread right. floor, get downhill way with a big guard. Um, they're all also three players who have body concerns in terms of what they're putting in their bodies and, and how they look, you know, physically as a product of it, you know, Ant's, you know, 21, he doesn't really have any of that dad bod on him yet, like Harden right. and, and and Luca do. But there, there's there's something to to all of that. So I again like thinking about it more big picture, it's like I love I love that about I about Ant that he wants to play in every game. And I want the league, as somebody who likes the league, to have things moving more and more that direction, but there is a reason why teams rest players, right? Why they right. do rest. I mean, I, we, we, we know that they've, they've done the, the calculation in this and staying away from redlining as they call it. And 
And with Ant, by the way he plays, by the way he doesn't perfectly take care of his body, I think this is going to be a thing over the course of time. So again, if we're doing the we're Tim Conley and Chris Finch sort of thing, I think you have to have a conversation about, yeah, we love that Ant plays all the time, but what's the right number? Like, how do right. we how do we weigh that all in? And and it would make sense to still be figuring that out uh, as it is right now. Ant is different than he was uh, uh, a year ago, but my head kind of goes there because we we've seen this before. We've seen the tired Ant games. The usage is still there. And when the use is, is there without the efficiency, you know, the, it's, it's going to oftentimes be a loss. And that is a place, you know, as, as somebody who uh, would probably be regarded as a Finch apologist in many ways, that's a place that I will criticize Chris Finch. Because I do think that he comes from a culture where, I mean, he played, he coached in, you know, European ball in some out-of-the-way places where, you know, guys had to suck it up. It's the whole minor league mentality. Um, I don't think he's made the right adjustment to what the NBA requires in that sense. I think he also takes pride in himself in thinking that our team has got a bunch of gamers in them that will do this. Sure. And, and that's what I want to endorse among my players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's also admirable. You know, I, I don't want to say that, uh, we, you know, we, we get tired of people saying, well, you know, it, 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 there is a, a little bit of babying that does go on in the NBA as well. But there are balances. And just like players get over-babied, I think a guy like Ant right now is being under-babied. And I think that, <laughs> that there's going to have to be yeah. a way to um, just tell him, hey, it's okay. Or... Simply, hey, here's an idea. Even though it's going to be ugly sometimes, um, if your team is up by 12 in the first quarter, just give him an extra three minutes, sure. you know, or whatever. He's always the last guy off the floor. We we do have uh, to say though, Britt, that like if they would have not underbabied him, this team is and would have given him a couple more days off, right? January they, and definitely would have been. Rugged. I mean, their their great January was a lot of Ant taking things into his own hands. I'll I'll agree with that. And so again, it's like it's like I I'm not, I don't have a opinion on this. I don't. It's right. it's it's one of those topics that anyone outside of an organization can't know because it, it's we don't we don't have the stats behind this stuff, right? We don't and we don't have the right genuine emotions. Ant says he's feeling fine all the time, right? Like. Right. So if he is universally saying after every single game, oh, I'm not time cool, like then, you know, that then it doesn't matter when you ask him what what exactly don't take his word for it, because his word is the same as somebody who's always complaining that they're hurt. After a while, you say, well, he complains a lot about being hurt. Mm -hmm. You know, why don't we say that? And always says he's fine. You know, let's take a look at how he's playing. You know, yeah, and so yeah, I agree with that. It, it again brings me back to my pet peeve, which is if your plan is that Anthony Edwards is your future, you know, why are you structuring your team in a way that does not benefit Anthony Edwards? Right. You know, uh, it it is a mystery to me. I mean, Austin Rivers. Rudy Gobert, Kyle Anderson, Mike Conley, 
Those are the most significant acquisitions this franchise has made since the end of last season in terms of minutes played. Mm -hmm. How do those four guys fit with Anthony Edwards? Yeah, I, it's. I mean, it's not like they don't that that they don't at all. They're all fine players, yeah. and there is what they have in common, though, mm -hmm. is a fundamental go by the book, do what needs to be done, measured way. Mike Connolly used to be a jet quick guard; he's a fifteen year veteran now. I mean, I think he still knows how to play with pace, but I do think that he was brought here to take care of Rudy Gobert and to right. fix Rudy Gobert. And by the way, when Cat comes back, to make sure that there are enough shots in the half court mm -hmm. to satisfy Cat, Rudy, and Dan. I get all the reasons why Conley is here. And listening to him in the locker room, he's clearly a voice of reason, really smart guy, knows what's it's all about, knows what he can and can't do, which is always nice. Right. I remember James Johnson and his flamboyance <laughs> and thinking that, you know, James Johnson is going to change the world and convince nobody but Josh Okoge that that was true. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think that uh, you have a situation where if your future is Anthony Edwards and Jade McDaniels, and increasingly it looks like it is, because those are the two guys that really stepped forward this year. Those are the two guys who are most in sync with the way that Chris Finch likes to play basketball. Those are the two guys who Finch loves to coach, who love Finch as a coach. Then you've got this other filtering in of a strain of a team that will be fabulous if they can integrate it in a way that makes it good for both ends. But if you're hamstringing Ant, or because of Ant's dominance, you're hamstringing that way of playing, then you're screwing yourself and the fan base. Let's grab one more break. I want to get into that uh, Conley Anderson Gobert fit with Ant thing uh, a little bit more, but I don't want to get cut off. So we're going to take a little break. Um, back with Brett. Today's show is brought to you by Falling Knife Brewing Company, and I want to let you know with this week with the Wolves playing the Clippers at 9 p.m. on Tuesday and the Lakers at 9 p.m. on Friday. That falling knife will stay open late until the end of those games. So if you're worried about maybe the brewery closing early, know that falling knife will be open with the game on the projector screens on both Tuesday and Friday. If you're looking for a place to go watch the game with friends or other Wolves fans, uh, falling knife has just been a, a cool sponsor of this, this podcast for me this year, as I've seen them kind of cultivate a Wolves community over there at Falling Knife. So even if you're a little frustrated with this team, uh, but you're still still wanting to watch them, uh, head over to Falling Knife to have some beers this week, take in the game uh, in, in a cool environment. That's uh, Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis. They're located just off of Broadway Avenue. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries 
from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20by20solutions.com. That's T-E-A-M at 20x20solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 20 by 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. All right, Brett, let's uh, let's dig into the the fit thing with Ant, Conley, and Ander. Ant with Conley, Ant with Anderson, Ant with Gobert. And, and when you, you were saying that, it's like, yes, that, that's intuitive to me, though. You know, p- part of me in my head, I can, you know, I can picture Ant playing off ball effectively from Conley and, you know, a pick and roll game. You get Ant on the second side and there, there's some of that stuff like Rudy helped shore up some of Ant's defensive stuff. Right? You, you see these things. But if we really, again, just like hyper focus it into that clutch time, last five minutes of the game sort of thing. Let's think about it functionally from like an offensive standpoint, right? Like you want okay. your offense to go through Ant in in the last five minutes, and that's that's harder to do with with each of those players, right? Rudy's the most obvious one in that you can't like you you can't put him out to the corner, so his man is going to provide provide some resistance towards Ant whenever he whenever he gets downhill, like that. That's just going to be a, a fact of the matter there. You probably trade that for the defense. It's, it's part of it. But but Rudy offensively gets in the way of that, right? And then and then Conley, you that one probably fits best, I would say, because you could just put Conley off ball as a spot up guy, though it's he is a point guard, right? You brought him in to be a point right. guard. You would think his best clutch time setup for him is to be just getting you into your offense, very much Utah Jazz style, whatever. And it feels like right. just spotting him up up off ball doesn't feel that valuable if you want Ant to be the primary initiator. And then you think about with Kyle, what Kyle's been great in the clutch for, for the Wolves right. this year. But where does Kyle play in the clutch offensively in those times? Point guard. He initiates the offense. So if we're in the pro- middle of the floor, too. Yeah, it, it, it you know, it's exact it's just in the spaces that Ant's game would fill up in in those times. So there is outside of the the age and the what was the what was the term you used? Um, not fundamentalist. Uh, fundamentalist, yes. Like they they are that where where Ant isn't. Um, but it's also it just seems conflicting and actually like blocking of of some of the great stuff Ant could potentially do in clutch time. Now that doesn't totally excuse what Ant's very poor clutch time numbers are this year. Right. But I think it it is a factor and goes back to the question you've asked a couple times on here, like, what the hell are we doing? Then putting right. those type of pieces around, even if they are all good pieces, how do they fit the dude? And, and, and I don't want to be a huge scold about this because this sounds like, again, you know, this will give the knee-jerk people a lot of ammunition. But imagine Ant with Vando. Imagine Ant with Beasley. Imagine Ant with Pat Bev. All of those three enable the kind of thing we're talking about. They would all have some. I mean, Vando's still in the dunker. There's still some of that. But I, I think. But Ant, Vando is the guy that basically, when Ant gets in trouble or when four guys go to Ant, Vando gets the rebound. That's a good point. Yeah, that has honestly been one of the biggest. 
that that's been more surprising to me with Gobert this year than the block numbers being down because I still feel the rim deterrence from Gobert for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's that Gobert hasn't felt anywhere near the offensive rebounding menace that Vanderbilt was, and I don't think I expected him to be full Vando. They're they're different types right. of offensive rebounders, right. but yeah, like that should be easy money for Rudy. If like and getting downhill and if and when he ever misses it, those should be you know tip in dunks far more frequently than they right. And if you're flying around, seems open for box outs that can happen. Mm. That's the thing about the Wolves last year. Now, obviously, the Wolves were not um the, the Wolves were terrible, quite frankly, in uh, offensive rebounding percentage. Um defense they rebounding were, percentage. They were 28th last year uh at 70.6. Uh this year they're 27th, so you would consider that an improvement. But because offensive rebounding is up this year, their percentage is actually lower yeah. on the defensive glass this year than it was last year. They're at 69.7 versus 70.6. Um, so, again, it's uh, – and, and, and I just – I understand it's not all fly around as got its downside i understand that i'm just talking about an identity a personality if somebody tried to tell me what is the identity of the minnesota timbles right now what is their personality um maybe somebody would say anthony edwards being glorious and that that is kind of a decent thing to say about this team and this season but then you ask, okay, how is that going to be furthered by the personnel moving forward? Um, or if we say they're a much better defensive team because of Rudy Gobert, that is a way to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Yes, except that their defensive rating is at about the same place as the Wolves' defensive rating last year. Um, anyway, I, I I looked at some stuff and wanted to figure out why did I think that the team was had something to rely on mm. back in January? And it was because they did put together a starting five that really was playing well. And it was the opening day starting five, except that Slomo was in at the four instead of Cat. Yep. But if you had Delo, Ant, McDaniels, Gobert, and Slomo, that Five has a, a really strong net rating. I'll, I'll see if I can find it here for a second. Yeah, no, I think it is like plus nine six or it's, something. Uh, like it's plus twelve nine. Oh. Yeah, which is uh, incredible. In Two hundred and fifty three minutes, twenty games. The Wolves are thirteen and seven in those minutes. Mm. Their offense is kind of mediocre, a little above average at one fourteen six. Their defense is one oh one seven. Elite. So, so there is a way by which the Wolves do have a kind of synergy there between Gobert and Ant. Uh, you get a one-on-one-seven with Ant on the floor and D'Lo on the floor, not incidentally, then things are going well. Um, and I understand, like I said, all the reasons why we got Conley, and I understand all the reasons why you decided not to stick with D'Lo. Um but you break it down into three-player combos, too. I mean, the best three-player combo among players who 
played over 200 minutes together is Jalen Noel, J Mac, and Ant. That's the that's the fly around. That's plus 14-3 in 283 minutes, the six most minutes of any three-man combination, by the way. Um, among this, this is all among yeah. over 200 minutes. But the 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 ones that have played the most together uh, that have a really high rating is Slomo, Ant, and Jaden at plus six four in 649 minutes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the one that has the most minutes and the most rating is uh, Slomo, Gobert, and and Jaden McDaniel's are plus nine six in 430 minutes. That's the third most if you have over a really good rating and also the third best net rating. So there are ways to make this thing with Rudy work to a level, but I just don't know yeah. if that is sustainable. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I, I thought it was interesting when, when you, after the Charlotte game, you asked Finch, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't clip these for, for the listeners, but I think we can talk about them. Shame Brit, on you. Yeah, right. Uh, Britt. <laughs> Uh, Britt just asked, you know, Finch kind of straight up, like, what what do you feel that this team can rely on? Which I thought was a good question because it seems like it has a pretty open answer. And he started his answer to you with, that's a really, really good question. You know, something he said, it's something I spend a lot of time thinking about at like, what can we do at a really highly repeatable level? And what he said was the offense has been really reliable, which from a statistical standpoint, not really. They've it's been below true. average. Right. But then he said he's he did was feeling really confident in the defense, but the last couple Until of weeks recently, they've right. lost that. So <laughs> excuse me. Which, which crazily enough, when Mike Conley slid in for Delo, who's wildly derided by me among many as a terrible defender, uh, you know, that one oh one rating in those minutes that I mentioned had yep. Delo as one of the five guys on the floor. So again. I'm not saying that the Conley for D'Lo deal didn't make sense. What I am saying is that as with the Gobert trade, um, you're not going to snap your fingers Mm -hmm. and get results here. And things, these are not smooth pieces that come together. Right. The, the, the skill sets of the players that are involved in this rotation, one of the reasons I'm pessimistic about this season moving forward is that we are going to try to bring back Cat and integrate Cat, which involves a whole lot of adjustment. I mean, Cat is a unique player. Does it, Britt, does it provide more things that you can bank on, though? That's what hopefully will happen. Hopefully what will happen is the the pros and cons will become much more obvious. Mm. And you'll say, all right, you know, yeah. uh, we've got this we can rely on. Um, one of the reasons initially I wanted to take Cat and begin him with him off the bench was because that slow-mo at the four uh, starting lineup was humming. Right. And now it's not humming. And I got to think to some extent it has to do with even if Conley doesn't have a high usage rate, he has a high ball control rate. And I think that may step on Slomo's toes a little bit uh, in terms of the fact that Delo didn't mind playing off the ball, Ant didn't mind playing off the ball. The only guy who really wanted to be on the ball 
was slow-mo. <laughs> and now Conley is kind of on the ball. I'm not sure, you know, the, the sample size, you know, six, five games, and the Wolves were one and four since the trade, by the way, um, aren't, uh, we just don't have enough information. But I, I do think that uh, bringing Cat back, you might be of the opinion, and I'm coming that way. I went back and forth in my last column, which is a mailbag, great mailbag in terms of questions, by the way. But um, you would be of the opinion that it is best to get as much of a Sam going to identify your team as, unless you're thinking about trading either Cat or Gobert in the offseason. Um, you are needing to find out how a synergy can happen between your two all-star big men. And that has not happened this year. That's one of the ways in which this season has been a very frustrating, you know, melange of woe. It, it's inter- like, I, I liked the, the rely on question. And then I asked Ant about that too. Like, what do you feel like this team can bank on? Because I think it kind of gets to this. Right overlapping hypothesis we've had on the season of what is this team's identity and you know we've done that a million different times you and I talking over the course of the year and it's like what is what is the identity and I think what an identity is is what are the things that you feel that you can do at a highly repeatable level and you have the coach saying that's something I spend a lot of time thinking about and then you had Ant and granted in the moment after a bad Charlotte loss saying I don't know what we can bank on like it right. should be defense and but he just gotten through saying the defense isn't reliable hasn't been reliable at all so i was like so do you just not feel like there's anything really reliable right now i was like yeah i don't you know so that that's just that's just what this is this team again lacks an identity which we've talked about before and it lacks an identity because the pieces either don't fit together or for them to fit together into a, something that shapes an identity it's going to take a very, very long time because we're 63 games into the season right? and the head coach and the best player are like, yeah, um, we're trying to trying to figure it out night to night. Um, and, and, you know, about half the time we do. Right. That that isn't the right. that isn't the identity of a good team, at least. And in fairness to the fans, that's how you generate knee jerk reactions. Yeah. You, it is incredibly frustrating to watch a team. And begin to ride. I mean, after the Dallas win, I'm there, you know, strutting up and down going, all right, hey, Rudy Gobert, and, you know, up at the level. Uh, it, it, let's repeat this a little bit. And then we find out, you know, Dallas is capable of blowing a 27-point lead, lead to the Lakers. <laughs> they are very unreliable when it comes to uh, – they are not – they're a sine wave team. You know, they, they have not figured it out by any means. Uh and so we're all guilty. I mean, you read anybody who's a beat writer, and you, you probably you know better than anybody because you talk to all these beat writers every week on a on a basis. This team has dashed every big every kind of optimistic <laughs> boomlet that you want to have. You go, all right, this is a way forward. This is this. And if we're feeling like that, you know. Chris Finch is hardly a disinterested uh, observer in this. He's been trying to figure out how in the world to get people on the same page in terms of a good identity. And Tim Connolly, obviously, I mean, their reaction 
was to get more fundamentalists. I'm skeptical, but that is indeed a reaction, and that is indeed a way that they are thinking we will get an identity by surrounding two glittering young talents with some really stable, sage players. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that's your elevator pitch. That's a nifty way of thinking. That's how we're going to go forward. Unfortunately, the reality thus far has proven that, that that's a very naive way of looking at it, that basketball teamwork is a lot more complicated than that. And um, that's why you, you look for scapegoats. When when, they, when there's no nothing to rely on, you say, all right, well, let's change something. Something has to change, yeah. 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 Um, well, one of the changes should be Cat um, coming back. I, I want to talk about that as that connects to Cat, obviously, but also um, as a way to kind of talk about Nas, too, uh, in, in the game he had last night and just the differences we see night to night with Nas on versus Rudy on and how Carl, which one of those identities, maybe he, he better fits. Let's take one more break. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of Cat. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, back with Britt Rab- Robson for a final segment. Britt Robson. Um, Britt, we... Uh, we have the, the, the cat thing still looming and, um, you know, I don't want to get too caught in the emotion or recency of the, the really poor play, but it certainly doesn't help. I think the psyche of us covering the team or the fans, you know, watching this team. I mean, this is at a point where it's, I, I think it's just objectively pretty ridiculous with whatever's going on with cat and the timetable or, or lack thereof. Um, obviously this is our, this is our first year dealing with covering the watching the, the Tim Conley front office and how they handle this sort of thing. But with this being my third or I guess fourth, if you include Gupta front office that I've covered every time there's been something like this, that's so, 
um, ambiguous and quite frankly, bizarre. It, it tends to be about something more than what is being listed. And I, I, I don't want to go there really. Cause I don't even know what that would be, what the fire is that to the smoke that I'm pointing at. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's just bad, you know, and it, I, I think it's not only bad for, for the fans, but I think it's bad for the players. I think when we were talking about with Ant before, like, you know, he comes back from All-Star and he wasn't in the hammock for the whole time and he gets back. He's like, shit, you know, Carl's still not here, right? And right. and whatever this has been just hanging over this of such an ambiguous timetable and for the, the line to be, Oh, no, no timetable. We've said indefinite the entirety of the time, which they have. You know, they didn't report right. the four to six weeks. They should, in my opinion, they should have said something at some point over time. Well, they definitely the should have said, was. wait a minute, this isn't a grade two calf strain. He's not coming back in four to six weeks. Yeah, yeah I, I, that's they, what I'm I mean, they I should have said that yeah. because Cat um, himself said, I knew right away that that right. was false. Well, all right. If if the guy who was injured mm-hmm. was telling people that I'm not coming back in four to six weeks, then, you know, a cynic would say, well, you know, you want those tickets to be bought two months down the road, you know. Uh, I agree with you that, first of all, when Cat got injured, we – uh, most people thought it was an Achilles. He went down like he was shot with no contact. And uh, I've talked to people who've dealt with hamstring things and 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 are you know, versed in the subject. And it it feels like somebody has done something to you, like you got hit yeah. in the back of your hamstring. Uh, and also, we know from KD last year. I mean, calf injuries are notoriously long-lasting. Mm-hmm. Um, so just let it be said, you know, on, on November 29th, the day after Cat right. got hurt, just say, it's going to be a while. It might be until the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. Just say that. It might be that long. Right. And then people just calm down and get into what they're doing. And then if they Cat somehow comes back in mid-January, you go, oh, you know, Good for Cat. He's back earlier than expected. Instead yeah, and, of living and, out and, there, and it's Cat malingering, you know? Right. It, it could be um, he's getting reassessed at this date, and then at that date, you know, then keep us off your case until whatever that date is, and then we kind of say, okay, being reassessed in six weeks. Then we ask you at six weeks what it is, and right. you say the reassessment says it's another, you know, it's a we knew it wasn't going to be six weeks. We didn't know right. it would be. We're going to do another reassessment in six weeks. And then you kind of like build this in. There's just been something funky that, again, not just about the fans. I, I, I would, what I could sense from the players too is this big like struggle. They're like, we don't know either. I mean, the, the players have started talking about it on the record. Like Austin Rivers was talking about it on his podcast of like, not, I mean, it's weird to me that right. the players seem to be as, we don't know as you or I or or any fan is. And, you know, what what sort of impact does that have on the, the collective psyche of all this? It's I don't know. I'm sure it's one of those things that that will will come out in time. But I, I don't I don't think it's 
I mean, how how can how can we not assume some sort of setback happened along the way in this? But a setback that we have to, but without any information, we have no idea to what degree that setback was. When he got in the boot for a while that he posted on there, was he getting PRP injections? What was? I mean, that's not the end of the world. Like, it makes it look like it's something worse than it is. Just the optics of it have been extremely poor, and and it's also, I think, for a fan has made this season harder to get into, right? Um, right? If you knew if or when Carl was coming back, you could kind of be like, all right, it's all right if they just stay at 500 until Carl gets back. But there's still today, at the end of February, no real signal as to when he is getting back. It's not just like, as I understand it, it's not just like right, right around the corner. Um, it's still going to be some time here. So it's just it's it it feels very problematic from a actually super functional standpoint of how you 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 put this team together and you know quite frankly I'm kind of sick of doing segments like this of like oh cats return right. what might that mean but I guess it becomes increasingly relevant as time goes on it is almost March uh, it's just where where we have to put our heads but I it would just. It would have done a lot more good than bad, I think, to have been a little bit more transparent with this. But that's, again, sort of sort of been the pattern uh, historically uh, with, with this franchise and injuries. And that's I guess that's their prerogative. But it leads to this, whatever this is, this this gray cloud. Um, it's you know, it's it's frustrating. And to me, seems seems a little unnecessary. But, but I, I don't really know what to do with it, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to be more of a passive observer on these things and uh that my frustration level i usually confine myself to what's on the court and then realizing if cat's not there my frustration level with cat being out is less about you know what's going on in in the intimate uh setting of cat and the team as all this is doing is delaying the inevitable uh verdict on this Gobert trade that yep. is going to be made, and the 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 star witness on this verdict is whether or not Cat and Gobert can play together. And if the the witness is unable to testify, <laughs> then the trial drags on. Yeah. And so, Cat uh, has missed right now exactly two thirds of the season. They played sixty three games. He's missed 42 of them. And that 21 games was the beginning of a learning process. Unfortunately, there is now twice as much time, literally twice as much time, where players have developed other dynamics that need to be tweaked, unlearned, it re-embraced. Uh, that is the problem here. And again, what I mentioned before about my pessimism is that this team has not had enough continuity to develop something that you can bank on. And Cat's return will give us more clues for next season and may even produce a boomlet that makes us really hopeful for next season. Mm -hmm. uh, best case scenario, Cat comes back and They've figured something out, and everybody is happy. Um, but even then, um, it 
that's a best case scenario. The odds of that leading to anything other than a play-in game feel really low right now. Uh, you know, they have a tough schedule. And, you know, most of their games are on the road. They have become a much better home team than a road team. Mm-hmm. Wasn't always true early in the season, but uh, it's true now. And it is, the frustration level for me is that uh, this season, the grade on this season will be incomplete. Acknowledging it's probably incomplete, let's try and peel into it a little bit. Um, and I sure. think Nas, right, is obviously the closer facsimile to Cat than Rudy is, though not at all um, a, a perfect one. But I think it ties into this sort of, you know, bigger conversation we've had about stylistically how it fits to Ant, fly around all, right. all right. this and that. And and in last night's game being the most recent example uh, with Nas starting his 11th game of the season, it is so jarring how different not just his individual numbers are when Nas starts games versus when he comes off the bench, but what the team's numbers are. In the 11 games that Nas has started, the Wolves have a net rating of plus 11 with him on the floor. In the 44 games he's come off the bench, they have a net rating of minus 8.7. And that I think taps into a bunch of things. It taps into some things about Nas, which I think we've talked about before, my opinion on it. Rhythm player having extended stretches of run, I think, really helps him. Um, but also to the team part of it, I think the team benefits more from Nas when it's an extended stretch of time rather than uh, a shortened version of it. I mean, those numbers are just really, really jarring from a what works with this team standpoint. And then obviously brings up the question, you know, what again, the question we've had many times, what do you do? with Nas and all of this, because as much as he is a negative player in limited minutes, he is very clearly a productive player in extended minutes. And to bring him back would be to be bringing him back in a role that would have limited minutes. So it's, it's hard. I don't, I don't know what, what to do with that specifically to Nas. And I don't know what to connect to cap with that. If anything, what a, where, where does your mind go to with that? Well, first of all, I want to reiterate that the numbers you just gave are are reinforced by the eye test. Anybody who watches the Wolves Mm -hmm. and Nas is in the starting lineup versus Rudy in the starting lineup sees a huge difference in the way the team plays. Yeah. Um, By the way, both are are relatively effective, but they're very, very different. Um, I do think that Nas runs out of gas. I also think that Nas has not ever been able to regulate uh, his, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, like Ant and Jaden, he is, I mean, you you actually linked him at the beginning of this podcast as young players who have difficulty keeping their poise when the stakes rise. Um, I think that is true. Um as to what happens with Nas going forward, um, you know, you heard chatter, you know, some of it from, uh, you know, uh, some, I think, reliable sources that the team and Nas have begun talking contract and Nas wants to be paid pretty pretty well. And the team, knowing that, could have included him in some kind of deal at the trade deadline and did not. Right. 
So, and Finch has been nothing but complimentary. Um, I did laugh when uh, Tim Connolly was talking with Chris Hine, uh, and, and you know before the trading deadline, saying Nas, you know they they knew Nas was going to be you know a force and so on and so forth. Or yeah, even if he was surprised, he's always been a part of our plans. That's not true. I mean, <laughs> that that's, that just was not true. That was yeah. not a true statement. And so uh, take that for what you will. But uh, Nas is somebody that will fit really well on a team. On a team that has Cat and Rudy Gobert, it is impossible to slot Nas in for over 20 minutes a night. It is just not feasible. Right. You cannot play a Cat, Rudy, Nas front line and have it work. Uh, and I don't think you can play Nas next to Cat and Rudy. The the number the analytics are not good on those types of pairings either. Nas is a fly around guy. The Iowa Ants lineup when Nas is paired with J Mac and Jalen Noel and Ant and another guy, usually Torian Prince, but it can be slow mo. That works if you give an extended burn. That was a fabulous thing to watch last year. And in moments this year, it's been great. It's been the times when Nas coming off the bench has been effective. Uh, but at this point in time, uh, I would sign him to a decent contract if you can afford it and then trade him for that contract's value for somebody is what I would do right now. because. I wouldn't want to let him go at the same time, uh, unless you're thinking about trading Cat or Gobert, you have to trade him, and he will be a valuable commodity, I think. I don't think a five or six or seven million dollar a year contract is going to scare people who really want that kind of a player on their team. Uh, so It's that, an interesting that, thing, right? Like, signing him with the idea Say you sign him to a four-year, thirty-six million dollar contract, right? And yeah, that, if you, that's the upper end I would do. Yeah, so let's just say whatever. Just throwing a number out there. Yeah, like if if you do that, and it is for long term. I mean, it, it's a deal you probably aren't signing him to be on for the entirety of those four years. You you probably move right. him at some time, and you would only make that deal because you believe that he will over the course of that contract, maybe even after the first year, maybe even by the first year's trade deadline, be a valuable asset that you could that you could later on move. That would be one reason to sign him now. Another would, and I know we don't like get into this that much because we have only seen 19 games of Cat and Gobert, but we again, if it is over four years, right? I don't think it's likely that both Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert are on this team four years from now or three years from now. Um, and it's not crazy to think that one of them might not be on the team in a year or two, you know, that those, those are paths that have to be considered on your whiteboard of, of things, which, you know, Nas doesn't totally factor into that, but it's just very like six months ago, we would have thought that this was a for sure a long-term thing with Cat and Gobert, at least to the end of Gobert's contract. I don't think we can say right. that anywhere with the same strength that we once could. It, it, if honestly, if for anything, even more than the pairing of Cat and Gobert themselves, 
the pairing of how they fit with Ant is the thing we didn't know when the Rudy Gobert trade went down is how Ant fits with a player like Rudy Gobert or how Ant fits with two bigs before. We had theories on it. Now we've seen 60 games of what he looks like with Rudy Gobert. And and that is largely into question, which I think brings up the question of eventually moving on from, from Cat or, or Gobert. And, and it's interesting, Nas is a footnote in that, but also the way Nas plays and the way Nas fits with Ant is right. a little bit stronger of a footnote to me. And if we are saying, if the theory is Ant fits better with a player like Nas and more of a spread floor look than with a true rim protector like Rudy, lob threat player, then then that makes a deal even more likely to happen. And everybody always goes to Carl, but just from a, you know, remove some of the connections that this team has. Right, right. Like Cat and, and Ant seem like a far more logical 5-2 pairing to me than Rudy and Ant do. So I like I, again, I don't think that's going to be anytime soon, but I think we could certainly cross a bridge within a year or two where it's like maybe Rudy isn't a, a long-term piece here with this team. And you know, and to that that these are the thing like we're trying to figure out first and foremost how do Cat and Rudy fit together when they're on the floor together. We haven't seen enough of that. But within that there are these spider webs off of it that are if not this then what? And right and, and those things, absolutely, I think it would be malpractice to to not be considering. And and I think Nas is an interesting character as a doppelganger or right. or as an insurance policy that kind of factors into all that. And it's certainly something I was thinking about last night when, when Nas had 18 points in the first quarter. Yes. I remain less enamored of Nas than you do while acknowledging that he has wildly exceeded my fondest expectations for him. And I also, knowing how hard he has worked and how much he has transformed his body and how self-aware he is about the game and his place in it, I can see him fixing some of the things, the rebounding issues, the up and down, you know, he's oh yeah. His 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 sure. his his defensive effectiveness careens from you know effective instincts to just hopeless instincts. I, I I think I have some confidence that Nas, who by himself is not old at all, I think this is his fourth year, but he's like twenty four. Twenty three, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh is 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 there. I I so I understand where you're coming from. I do think that T Tim Connolly trading Rudy Gobert, if that would ever to happen, the the maybe not dimes on the dollar, but the quarters on the dollar that would almost necessarily ensue from that um, would be a professional embarrassment to Tim Connolly. Now, whether or not that becomes a factor in things, human nature says it would. Logic would say you know, you've got to get past that and and rebound from your missteps. Um, one of the things I wanted to get into in just a minute, if you don't yeah, mind, go for is uh, one of the things that I find interesting about last year's team and this year's team and the Gobert team versus the non-Gobert team or whatever is that the biggest change 
that has happened. If you go to the miscellaneous page on NBA.com, uh, which has a lot of the, you know, the factors that are important. Uh, last year, the Wolves scored 3.6 points uh, more per 100 possessions off points off turnovers. Uh, actually, it isn't per 100 possessions. It's per game. Uh, anyway, they, they generated 19.8 points off turnovers and gave up 16.2. 19.8 was the best in the NBA. 16.2 allowed was in the middle, 14th. This year they're minus 0. 0.6. That's a 4.2, 4.2 4. 2 point <laughs> yeah. swing. Uh 10th in generating points off turnovers at 18.1, but 27th in what they allow, 18.7. So they have dropped 1.7 in what they get off turnovers, and they have allowed 2.5 turnovers points more off those. Uh that's a big swing. The way they make that up to some extent is points in the paint, uh, which is obviously different because points in the paint is a way of doing it rather than what happens in the flow of the game. But the Wolves are plus 3.6. They score 3.6 more points in the paint than their opponent this year. Uh, they're eighth at 54-1. They're 17th, allowing 50.5. Last year, they were 1.6. So they lose two points. They gained two points from that. Last year, they were 14th in what they scored and 11th in what they allowed. Um, so that is, those are the biggest swings. Points off turnovers, they lose 4.2 points compared to last year. Points in the paint, they gain two points. Uh, second chance points, by the way, they were minus two. Uh, this year, minus one four last year. So that's a half a point that they punt fast break points last year uh they were plus 1.1 this year they're plus 0.6 that's another half point they lose hmm. so they have lost big on points off turnovers they have lost a half a point on second chance points they have lost a half a point on flat fast break points relative to their opponent that's a lot to overcome i mean you know uh setting aside the points in the paint for a minute in the three categories that are miscellaneous, points off turnovers, second chance points, and fast break points, that's a net minus five points hmm. per game that you're losing compared to last year. Uh, and that is one of the reasons that I'm a fly-around guy. I think that some of that has to do with pace and opportunism. And I think when you increase the pace, you increase the opportunism – but even more than that, you increase the ability to seize on it with your personnel. And I mourn that the personnel, I think, is less able to seize those opportunities. I think to the the, the points off turnovers thing, um, a, a big thing, to, almost to a frustrating point last season was uh, defense. I thought Malik Beasley was a really good example of this. Like Defensively, good defense was about deflection, steals, blocks. It was ending right. possessions. Right. And, right. The, and the team kind of held more of that identity. Right. And a Rudy Gobert team is more about high level contests of shots. Right. We're making every right. shot difficult. And right now on this group, I think you have, again, with the whole fundamentalists versus the younger players thing, you have guys like Jade McDaniels, who similar to Malik Beasley, are trying to end possessions with blocks 
and steals over contests and, right. and those sort of things. Because if and when those are successful, you get a block, you get a steal. It often leads to a, a run out, which leads to points off of turnovers, right? But you have right. this identity confliction right right there that makes your whole group just kind of overall mediocre. And then the points in the paint, which was the second thing you brought up, like, yes, that is way better because you have Rudy Gobert. Um, and he's elite at points. Because of what you allow, right. Yes. But then it, at the same time, like in theory with the roster, again, if you just take last season's roster with their two main pieces in Ant and Cat, those should be two players that get you a lot of easy buckets in the paint, generally speaking. Right. So it's it's a confliction defensively against kind of your incumbent players comfort zone i think to bring in the fundamentalists like rudy gobert and then what gobert does offensively in theory is something the wolves were already good at or should be good at if and when they have carl anthony towns back in the mix they probably could use another guard who could get all the way to the bucket and get some more points in the paint that way but right it, it is it again it is a more pared down reasons i'm glad you brought it up of specifics that go into like, yeah, this doesn't fit because you have players doing different things within their comfort zone that that conflict. It's 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 why defensively, I think this team is problematic, even though being like tenth in defensive rating. Right, and and Tim Connolly would argue, I would think that uh, yes, uh, points off turnovers has dropped 1.7 points, yeah. but the points you give up off turnovers has risen 2.5 points. That's where the majority of your loss has been. Mm. And if we are playing fundamentally, we should be able to reduce that turnover quotient. Mm. And that's why you bring in a Mike Connolly theoretically, although Delo's turnovers are now, in fairness, Delo's turnovers oftentimes were injurious because they were the kind of turnovers that led to points. Mm. He wasn't a guy who traveled a lot. He was a guy who would, yes. you know, like, like J-Mac the other night. It was shocking to see J-Mac throw a cross-court pass that led to an easy layup. Mm-hmm. And by the way, J-Mac's ineffectiveness has been a huge part of this four, five-game uh, shit streak that has happened. Yeah, we could go uh, and do the whole bizarre but also kind of makes sense why he was closing the game last night thing because you're looking for that structure and there in the corner for that <laughs> exactly. wide open three-pointer mike conley poor soul didn't have any idea how bad j-mac was at shooting that three yes. but but yes and it, but it's a good the, example the of the confliction he, it's it, it is yes, exactly that is the thing i mean tim conley could say hey mike conley is going to reduce those points off turnovers except it hasn't happened right except that we still are seeing this mm. uh so you know and maybe if gobert's in the middle instead of nas you know you have less of that clearly you do nas mm. is much more of a turnover machine in yeah. that sense but mm. again it is this it's why there is no identity is because there are strains of two identity that are both really strong and compromise each other. Mm-hmm. And I am waiting, and again, that January time where they only gave up 101 points and went like 13, that, that unit is 13 and 7 together. Uh, 
that would seem to be the middle ground that you want to pursue and it's something to rely on, except that it, it you know, I don't know if, if the Connolly Fadilo trade uh, somehow screws with that more than it should or whatever the deal is. But this remains, as my question to Finch and his answer and Ant's answer have indicated, uh, there is not a reliable component that marks this season. And you don't have an identity without reliability unless your identity is unreliability, in which case it's time to change the roster and or the coach. Let me let me close by asking you this, just because which is a way of kind of talking about the next couple of games, too, or just the, the schedule and how difficult it is. We have Clippers on Tuesday, Lakers on Friday, Kings and then back home for the Sixers Four very difficult games uh, for this Wolves team right now as we sit here on Monday morning recording this they the Wolves are in the the ninth seed at 31 and 32 obviously you know two. I think tied for ninth too aren't they with the Wolves yeah they have one more win and one more loss than them but yes both 12 oh, and a okay. half games back um but again it's it's the same thing and, and and people can certainly do this and I wouldn't say it's wrong they're only two and a half games behind Phoenix who's the four and, you know, the, the, the other way, you know, they're only one and a half games ahead of Oklahoma City, who's the, the 13th. If I so set, Utah can go chase Victor, huh? I, I guess so, but they're ahead of the Wolves right now. No, but I mean, they, oh, get, the the, they get the Wolves pick. Yeah, God, that is a, a dark, that is a dark thing. If, if I said this to you, or I guess to the listeners here as well, and I said, all right, I am Las Vegas, and I say... The over/under line on where the Wolves finish in the Western Conference is now nine and a half seed-wise. Would uh-huh. you take over or under that? I would take that they will finish in the top ten, just because I think that. Uh, yeah, but that's not totally the question. Well, <laughs> that's why nine and a half is a really good line. Thank you. Uh, uh, I would probably. I think they'll finish 10th, but I also think that 8th, ninth are not. I think they'll be a play-in team, uh, so I, I think they'll finish in the top 10. So I guess it's a very – 9.5 is a great line. I would not bet it because I would not be sure either way. Yeah, I think it was 8.5. I would bet under. Um, and 9.5 and – if I had to pick a side, 9.5, I'd pick over. Um, which I guess is maybe by way of Meaning saying better, nine. Right, yeah, right, yeah, 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 yeah. Meaning better. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. I, I, it does feel like uh, it feels like not making the play-in uh, is a failure, uh, even beyond the, the very reduced expectations we've come to understand about this team. Uh, on the other hand, if you are choosing to integrate Cat in a full, you know, right on way here, you know, we are this season, you know, who cares if we're at 10th or 9th yeah. and therefore our fodder down the road? Uh, let's get our act together with the matter at hand, mm-hmm. which is bringing Carl Anthony Towns into the fold in a good way. Let's use this month of games to make it work. Sure. Uh, I can, you know, there's a part of me that says that makes sense. Now, I also 
I'm on record with you from a previous podcast of saying, I think Cat should come off the bench early like D'Lo did a couple of years ago. I think it makes sense. But I do think that that will have, have an impact. I think if you bring Cat in and fully integrate him right away, you have a greater chance of falling out of the plan uh, because I think there'll be some huge adjustments, especially on defense. I, I'm I'm not with that. I think, though I, I see the logic in it, I, I just think the, the benefit from the talent overwhelms the awkwardness at this point of give and, and you know and I'm saying that after this team for the last three games has looked so talent deprived I think uh-huh. that that's you know and I want to take a little bit more time before I do any sort of real Conley versus Delo reactions or changes sure, in my opinion sure. but the one I feel pretty confident about now is and that I probably underestimated in the moment is this team is going to be probably significantly worse on offense than it than it was prior to the Conley for Delo swap. I think the the dynamic of the team changed. And I thought the benefit of the trade was from a this year's standpoint or this to next year's standpoint was it should make the team better defensively. And I still I still stand by that. So I think if they were 10th in offense and 20th on defense, or sorry, 20th on offense and 10th on defense, um, when the trade went down, I would assume the offense goes down now and the defense in theory goes up. Though the the way in which I could see the offense falling is um, or or has fallen is is bigger than I thought. And to that end, as we've seen Cat with playing on crappy teams before, he does have a way of just being a bobber, right? And and getting right. you, getting you up to at least that average, just just kind of in and of himself. So I I mean. If and when Cat's back and off a minutes restriction, I mean, I'm I'm starting him and I'm pay, playing him 34 minutes a game, uh, if if we if we can, just because I think the team is pretty desperate for offense right now. Uh huh. And that has the double advantage of more time getting getting a better sample size as to how this works. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think. Games can be played with minutes restriction, as they always are. I mean, guys who are on minutes restrictions miraculously exceed them, or you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I am not. I, I, and I agree that my argument loses more steam as the cat replaced by Slomo starting five now includes Connolly, who's not panning out that way, and also Slomo. And Conley not really synergizing thus far. I also have to think that, uh, you know, we don't have time for it right now. We could go another 15 minutes on this. Again, as somebody who is generally a, a, a supporter of Chris Finch, uh, I'm perplexed by some of his rotations. Yeah. And uh, I think that we can talk about the starting five, but we can also talk about. Uh, you know, who and how and when guys are Austin, Austin Rivers has been a security blanket. Um, I think if you're going to make Austin Rivers a security blanket, you have to understand that Nah, uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker uh, is a better Austin Rivers right now, especially if Rivers can hit a three. Uh, he hit two last night, but it right. certainly didn't help his confidence at the line. <laughs> uh, I, you know, 
I just think it's six six. Uh, uh, a guy who wants to be a terrier on defense is better if he's six six than when he's six two or six three or whatever Austin Rivers is. Uh, and I, I think Nod deserves minutes. I think he deserves Austin Rivers minutes. Uh, I I hope Finch feels the same way. Uh, I, my newfound embrace of Jalen Noel remains. I, I like his fly around, the acceleration that the team has when he's on the court. I, I was pleased to see when I looked at like last 10, 15 games that, you know, some of it obviously buoyed by the couple of plus 35s he put up yeah. in, in games, but he his net rating is really, really high. Uh, and I think he does answer a lot of those offensive factors, even if he's being a Kobe assist uh, uh, benefit. I think the pace he puts in the offense is, is good for the Wolves. So I, I have some rotation questions. Uh, I understand where you're coming from when it comes to how much Cat can help an offense. I also wonder, as I have all season, how much he'll give it back being forced to play on the program. Yeah, no, that's that's the question. I think it, the things actually tie together. I, I think it's for this season or beyond rotations around the cat and Gobert pairing are critical. And and having I mean you it's like one of those situations where if your rotations nine guys or rotations ten guys, like they all have to kind of work. It can't be which we've seen many over the years where it's like, and once once you start getting down to the Wolves' eighth, ninth man, these are just bankable problems, right? right. Um, I, I think it's going to be critical to have a deep team, to, to have one that has multi-positional players that can consistently be relied on to play, like Kyle Anderson playing a lot. I mean, Torian Prince has missed a lot of time. Like th- those, those type of guys, you know, in, in theory, we got Prince coming back at a similar time to when when Cat comes back and, you have a team closer to, to full strength. When we talk about right. needing to learn this team as it pertains to Cat and Rudy, you do kind of need to have a lot of the personnel around it so as to Absolutely. be able to play with it. Because if you don't, it will, I think, the 500 minutes you get at the end of the season might be kind of irrelevant if it's a bunch of, yeah, Austin Rivers and Jalen Noel out there next to him in it. So, um, it's it's obviously a major point of frustration. I think we hit it at the beginning of the episode that this team has been so injured, has had players missing so many games that have gotten the way. Um, it's a it's a fact of the matter, but it's not at all an excuse. Uh, teams have that a, a, around the league and need to navigate accordingly, and and many of them have navigated accordingly better than than the Wolves had. And right. and so you know, I, well, even Chenzo last night, yeah. even Chenzo gets you twenty one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how you win games. And when the Wolves, when it happens to the Wolves, when they have a guy who is a top seven or eight minutes, but is suddenly in the starting lineup mm-hmm. and grooves, yep. you know, uh, and and as opposed to Nas last night, plays an entire game at both ends, right. uh, then, you know, I mean, that's how you win games. And Dante DiVincenzo was kind of like a stealth MVP beside Clay Thompson last night, and and Lo- Looney, by the way, had seventeen rebounds. Yep. Uh, so again, again uh, you know, it's a. Uh, I do think that Tim Connolly, you know, is uh, he's getting heat for the Gobert trade. Uh, I you know, slow mo is a good deal. Slow mo is a good deal, uh, but 
Brent Forbes and Austin Rivers aren't looking too good right now either. Yeah. And uh, obviously very cheap contracts, nothing, you know, huge. It's, it's bargain bin shopping, but getting guys on those bargains, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when Austin Rivers was going well, I was tipping my hat to Tim Connolly, mm-hmm. but that's not happening at the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think the way this roster is filled out, you know, we seem to be really good at collecting centers. Uh, <laughs> all five centers have shown something this year. They, they did. The three, four, and five all looked pretty, pretty good last night. I mean, put up a better stat line than as a as a group than I think Rudy has, and in, in any game, uh, also at least offensively. <laughs> Obviously, that's 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 the difference. There, right, right. The Luca Garza just... experience remains. Uh, uh, you know, again, you know, I'm on record of, as I, I was really wrong about Nas, and uh, I'm stubborn about mm-hmm. saying I was wrong about Garza because I just think that last night was a perfect example. He did some really neon great things mm-hmm. and some really not so neon bad things, yep. and wound up being a minus. Uh, he's slow. He doesn't react well. He can do what he does within the space he does it. But that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as great as a eager offensive force as he is, you know, he's in danger of becoming like the Zach Levine of fifth string centers. <laughs> yeah, and the important thing to note is he is the fifth string center or fourth, or I don't know, I don't even know how it all right. really works. Right. But it is, it is kind of the perfect encapsulation of a, what we've been talking about, which is a roster that's bizarre. Um, and has been forced to get even weirder over the course of the year as as, as injuries have have played out. I, I I mean my my biggest hope I think for the end of the season, regardless of seeding in there, is is putting together a 12-15 game sample size with a roster that looks a lot like what you hope it would look like down the road. I mean it, it seems weird to compare it to Finch's first year when he took over for Saunders. Remember that like last fifteen games? And in- I think that is actually a really good comparison. I really do, because there was talent there. You knew there was talent. Mm -hmm. You had no idea how it would come together. Uh, You suspected that Ryan Saunders was overmatched, but, you know, I I guess some people were much more sure of it than I was. Uh, But I wanted to find ways how these things could be reconfigured, and there was some hope Mm -hmm. uh, in that period of time the Wolves did do some things that gave you hope. And then they went on uh, to win 46 games the next season. You know? and, and the bar, obviously, is much higher for this particular group in this particular time. Yeah. Uh, but the, right now, uh, ultimate how the season ends is not nearly as, you know, that, that verdict has pretty much been rendered. This team is not going to get out of any first round mm-hmm. series and that at the beginning of the season would have been regarded as a mild disappointment. And I think that that is the ceiling right now. Right. Uh, but what is yet to be determined and does give you need to keep tabs is how is this team going to write itself for what it wants to do in the near future? meaning next year and getting ready to figure out how the roster needs to be tweaked for next year. I can tell uh, it's been two weeks since you and I have done a 
pod together by this episode being now almost probably two hours long. Um, uh, we used to do that all the time. We, we used to. And then I, I, I started putting, trying to just structure the offense a little bit, you know. <laughs> yep, that's but, fly but, around. We fly around. <laughs> Had a good fly around episode. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, well, we'll be back to do it uh, again with uh, Britt soon. Um, I'll be I'll be back with Jace after the Clippers game on Tuesday night. We'll record that on Wednesday. That's next up in here. We're, we're obviously after the All-Star break. We took a break there, and we're kind of out order. Brits here on a Monday. But we'll get back into what has been our normal rhythm here um, for, for the rest of this regular season and to whatever extent the, the playoffs do or don't happen. Um, so thanks for sticking with us. Uh, thanks for listening to me and Britt go back and forth our fly-around mentality here for – uh, a long time, and I'll be back uh, to talk to you on Wednesday morning with Jason. Until then, he's Britt at Britt Robson on Twitter. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. Uh, until Wednesday, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.